We're back in the book of Revelation, uh, in Revelation chapter 6. And um, <clears throat> just to recap, the last time we, we, we were here was, was about three weeks ago. I wasn't here myself, but um, uh, John <clears throat> uh, took us through uh, chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, which essentially focused on the scroll, the lamb taking the scroll no one could open the scroll and uh, John was was John was very dismayed that nobody could open the scroll that was um, in the right hand of him who sits on the throne which is of course God God the Father um, but then there was one who was worthy to open the scroll and that was Jesus that was the lamb that was slain <clears throat> the lamb that was slain before time before earth began he was worthy to open uh, the scroll and we see in, in chapter 5 how both the, the lamb and him who sits on the throne had equal equality if you like in terms of the worship that uh, the angels and the, and the elders and the beasts and the creatures all creation and heaven and earth worshipped both the, the him who was on the throne and the lamb who was slain. And so it was a great um, um, acknowledgement of the deity of Jesus Christ, of the lamb, even though he was a lamb, led like a lamb to the slaughter. He had he, um, been risen, had risen to the right hand of God and he'd, or the right hand of the Father and he was receiving worship and honor because he was fully God so he was worthy to open the seals on the scroll and <clears throat> chapter 6 we're going to look at chapter 6 today and it, it deals with um, the opening of, of the seals or opening of the, of the first six seals of the scroll Father, we just pray this morning that your word will um, really speak to us. Father, it, it will really speak to us. And Lord, you would just help me um, honor your word, Lord, and um, help explain your word in a way that is understandable and that is relatable and that makes a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so just give me a second. Let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 1. <laughs> now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see, and then behold. And I looked, and behold, <clears throat> a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Then when he opens the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. 
And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades, followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Amen. So I think it's fair to say this is not your average passage of scripture. And certainly from, from here on in, uh, for most of, of the rest of the book of Revelation, uh, we are seeing very dramatic images of the unfolding of God's plan for mankind, God's plan for the earth, God's plan for heaven, and ultimately God's plan for eternity. The first chapter of Revelation, we see the revelation in the sense of Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, him who was dead and now is alive and will live forevermore. So John is given this revelation of Jesus Christ in his risen glory. Equal with God. He is God. 
Chapters 2 and 3, then we see um, the letters to the different churches in Asia Minor at the time. Letters of encouragement, letters of uh, rebuke, warning. And then in chapter 4, um, the door in heaven is opened and, and, and John goes up and he sees the throne room of God in all its glory. The crystal sea, the rainbow, etc. In chapter 5, we see the, the angel in a, in, a, in a loud voice announcing the, the scroll, about the scroll, and who is able, able, to, able to open the scroll with the seven seals. And so we're reaching, if you like, uh, the revelation now of God's plan. And it's, it's so amazing, it's so um, mind-blowing, so hard to comprehend that it can only be communicated, you know, in, in symbolisms, in, symbol, in symbolism, in symbols, and in what we call apocryphal language, um, re revelatory language that's kind of, kind of, some of it's kind of hidden and, and, and coded. But we're coming now to the point as well where it becomes very controversial very controversial because it's not black and white because it's not black and white um, there's many different interpretations of of the the passages from from here on fortunately you're going to hear the right one this morning <laughs> no but but seriously i think what what we we've what i've found certainly in my time as a christian is that the more a passage is obscure, the more a passage is hard to understand, the more certain some people seem to be about, about the, the meaning of the passage. They seem, oh, it's definitely, it definitely means this. Definitely. And anyone who doesn't believe that, you know, um, they're, uh, they're a false teacher. And <clears throat> oftentimes we don't focus on what we do know. We try to look at what we you know, it isn't certain. But I think it's important, even in this passage, to try and focus on, on what is obvious, or relatively obvious. The other point about this passage is that you can't understand this passage or Revelation unless you understand or have a knowledge of the Old Testament. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament the Old Testament revealed. And especially in the book of Revelation, we see so much reference to the prophets of the Old Testament who spoke about things that were going to happen both to Israel, but also in the end times. Um, and they are referenced here. And if you understand the Old Testament, and many of the churches who were reading this, remember it was initially a letter to the churches, it was, going, it was circular going around to the churches, Many of them would have been uh, of Jewish um, origin. They would have been Jews who would have become Christians, still Jews. Uh, and they would have known their scripture. So they would have understood all the references um, to the Old Testament prophets. So it's worth bearing that. So even if we look at the very first um, seal, 
And it's, it's important to remember that these are sealed. So we have a scroll. It's written on both sides. So even the, the fact that it's written on both sides is similar to, the, to a scroll that was given to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. A, a scroll that was written on both sides. Normally, a scroll, I think, would be just written on the inside. But because there's so much in it, it was written on, written on both sides. And it doesn't just have one seal. Normally, we just have, you know, one seal, those red seals that you stick on with, with candle wax or whatever and you stamp on. This had seven seals. And we know that seven is, is a, a symbol in the Bible for completeness or, or perfection. But it's probably in this sense, it's, it's a completeness. So this is the, if you like, the full unveil, unveiling of God's um, plan or uh, judgment or both um, for, for, for the world and for mankind. And it's interesting in the time that the book was written and the letter was written, and it's, remember, it's very important to remember when it was written, first and foremost, it was written to these churches um, who were in Asia Minor and who were being persecuted, who were being persecuted primarily, but not exclusively, by the Roman Empire. So they're being persecuted by Jews, but also uh, primarily by the Roman Empire that the Roman emperors would have put seven seals on their will. So they had seven seals on their will. So in some, se some sense, it's almost like a will. And I'm not sure exactly how that plays out, but certainly it has similarities uh, to the wills of the emperors of those days. And perhaps that's one reason why, why only Jesus was able to open the, 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 the seals because he, he was the one who had died. He was the one who had died and risen again. So when we come to the first seal, uh, we see a reference um, to the book of Zechariah, uh, which talks about um, horses of different colors and, and horses and chariots of different colors. So. I encourage you to go back, read, read the Old Testament prophets, read the book of Zechariah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, Joel, um, all the, Daniel, they're all referenced in here, um, either clearly or, or kind of subtly. But let's go to the first seal. So the first seal, um, there are four, that one of the four living creatures who is before the throne sees a white horse and someone who sits on the white horse with a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. There's two very, very contrasting views on this, this uh, particular uh, seal. One is that it's Jesus. Um, and because he's on a white horse, um, Jesus, we see later in Revelation, he, he comes on a white horse. So that's one, one view. The second view is it's the Antichrist. Okay? Uh, some people believe it's the Antichrist and that he's been given power um, over the world to, to uh, conquer. And he's been given a crown. It's almost like a... a um, a shadow, if you like, of the true Christ. Um, 
But it may also be just simply a, an image through history of the fact that, you know, there have been different kings who have come and they've conquered. And they've been given power to conquer. So there's three. I've given you three interpretations there. I'm not going to tell you which one I think because I actually don't know. Right? And, and um, sometimes it's okay not to know. Uh, but the, the, the point is that it is, it speaks of a time of something that's going to happen after the letter, uh, of that, after the time of the, that the letter was written to the churches. So if you, if you go back to uh, Revelation chapter 4 in verse 1, it says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must, play, must take place after this. So after this is after what's going to happen to the seven churches. Does that make sense? So the letter was given to the seven churches, you know, and they were given warnings and they were given encouragements. If you do this, uh, it'll go well with you. If you don't, it won't. And then it says, after this, I'm going to, you'll see what's going to take place. So this is going to take place. This first horse, the first ride on the horse is taking place after uh, the events of, of this, of the, right to the seven churches. Also, I just want to uh, bring you to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. So, blessed is he who reads and, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. Okay? So, what does that mean? The time is near. So, this, this book was written over 2,000 years ago. Or, well, no, just under two, what year is it? Yeah, under 2,000 years ago. What, what does that mean? The time is near. Also, it says in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Okay? So they're going to take place again after the things that are, which was 2,000 years ago, practically. So the only point I'm, I'm trying to make here is we know for certain that they take place after the events surrounding those seven churches. There was much debate then exactly when, when, when these events happen. Okay? I'll leave that with you for the moment. Let's go on to the second seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And this was the, the horse that was going to, the second horse of the apocalypse, if you like, was going to take peace from the earth and people would kill one another. And he was given a great sword. So, again, there's a debate, you know, when, when is this? Is this going to happen at the very end? just before Jesus comes back? Or has it happened right throughout history? Well, there's no doubt that it has happened right throughout history. There's so many, there have been so many um, times where there's been uh, no peace, there's been war. Absolutely. 
Uh, even I was just reading there last week about Genghis Khan. He directly or indirectly uh, directly killed 10% of the Earth's population, either through the, the murder that he caused or the, or the subsequent famines or diseases that arose out of his conquests. So you can definitely apply it to the past, but then you can also, you could potentially apply it uh, to the future, but certainly you can apply it to the troll, troll history, the whole history of, of mankind since the resurrection of, of Jesus and, and the ascension of Jesus. Similarly, we have the third seal. And in this, this is a very interesting one, um, where there's scarcity on the earth. And it's, it's exemplified by the fact that you can only get a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, in, in modern day language, what that means is if you wanted to get to buy a sliced pan, it would, it would cost you a day's wages. Okay? A sliced pan would cost you a day's wages. And um, again, you know, there have been times of famine, there have been times of scarcity uh, throughout history. We're definitely experiencing it now through, through, in, through inflation. And somebody said once that inflation is the modern day plague of locusts in that it erodes, it eats away at your resources. So even if you have savings in, in, the, um, in the bank, if it is inflation by 10%, the next year your savings are down 10%. So currently our, the inflation in Ireland I think is, is, is about 10%. That's what they say officially. But I think most people would say it's much higher than that. that the, in the last year, uh, wages, wages haven't gone up, but the, the price of everything has gone up a lot. And so we've got scarcity. We also have a sort of um, implication of, or it implied that there was famine. There was famine in the, the Black Horse. A lot of people associate that with, with famine. So often the two are, are linked. And especially, it's very interesting now to see um, in the Ukraine, of course, where uh, it was the, the breadbasket of, of the world. And one of the reasons that, that uh, wheat and, uh, and, and the like are, are, are going up so much in bread, is going so up so much in price, is because of the shortage caused by um, the crisis and the, and the, the conflict in, in Ukraine. Now, some commentators go, Oh, that's it, Ukraine. That verse is about Ukraine. We're definitely at the end now. Okay? And I think there's some truth in that, in, in some sense, in that, you know, this, the, Ukraine is obviously an example of, and the, and the shortage is an obviously, obviously an example of the increasing turmoil that is coming upon the earth. But it's also worth bearing in mind that this isn't a unique example. It has happened in many, many times past. In the 1980s in Argentina, inflation was at like 2,000, 3,000%. Okay? And we often like to look at, at things, and especially the way we are in the modern world, we look at everything through the lens of now. We interpret it, well, this must be now, because that's all we can think about. We're so short-sighted. But it has, there's been so much turmoil, so much famine, so, ma so many wars throughout um, history. We can't just say, oh, it's all about now. And then we look at the fourth, the fourth seal, 
and it was a pale horse. And many people say that that pale horse actually kind of is pale as in sort of a like a, a yellowy grey debt, you know, you know, when you're when you're on death's door, the way people look. And so it's associated with death, and it was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, hunger, death, and by the beasts of the earth. So again, as I said, um, this isn't something new. It has happened through history. I was reading, um, I got a, a book from the, the library recently uh, for, for the kids, and it was about explorers through, down, through the, down through the centuries. Brilliant comic, comic book, really, really good comic book. But it's amazing when you read the stories from Marco Polo and um, Cortes, who goes over to, to uh, I think it's Mexico or uh, South America, the amount of people who died over there from smallpox. All populations almost wiped out because of smallpox. And so, so death has been occurring throughout the ages. In fact, we're probably now, at, at this, due to modern medicine, uh, at, at probably the lowest, one of the lowest mortality rates. So it has been, it has been happening. But in another sense, you could also say that the, the, the death and that's referenced here is a culmination of the other, the other um, seals. So if there is famine, if there is war, uh, then, then death is, is the obvious, obvious result. So it's a pretty bleak picture. And whether you believe it's, it's um, a description of history up until up on this point, or it's a description of what's going to happen in the, in the end, end times, um, what, we, what it, we do know is that God is in control. God is in control. He knew it before it happened. And he knows what's going to happen. He is in control control. The fifth seal speaks of the martyrs of those who died because of their fate. And again, at the time of the Roman Empire, when this was written, there were many, many martyrs dying because of what they believed. And that it said, and, and they ask, you know, when will the when will your vengeance be, Lord? When will your vengeance be upon those who have killed us? And the answer is that they should rest a while, rest a while, because the number of their fellow servants, until the number of their fellow servants and brethren would be killed as they were was completed. So even at that time, there was more uh, martyrs to come. And we know, of course, through, throughout history, again, there have been many martyrs uh, for, um, for their faith in Jesus. Even today, or even especially today, we know around many parts of the world, many are dying uh, because of their faith in Jesus Christ.
in Luke chapter 4. A familiar passage. We see Jesus coming to announce the beginning of his ministry. He starts off by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about the spirit of the Lord resting. Someone, could someone read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, 2, 2, please. As you will come up from the stump of the stones of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the world will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Thanks, Namdi. So, the, from the, the root of Jesse, so it is the root of David, the branch. And this root is referred to in Revelation chapter 5, the root of David. So he was the one who was to come, the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. And the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. And it Many people think that the Spirit, it talks about seven different aspects of the Spirit there, you go back and read them. But many people think um, that that refers to the seven spirits um, in Revelation chapter 5. Um, the Lamb with, with, uh, who had seven spirits. Where we go. Um, he had seven eyes, the Lamb had seven eyes, which are the seven, seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So this spirit was this, the Holy Spirit, and it was upon Jesus. It was upon the Lamb, it was the Lamb, the seven eyes, um, if you like, the all-seeing Jesus going out, all-seeing spirit going throughout the earth. And Jesus, in fulfillment, not just of this, but of, of Isaiah 60, 63, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Why am I reading that? What's, what has that got to do with the martyrs? Those who died for their faith. If you go to Isaiah chapter 63, sorry, 61. Isaiah 61. It is the same, essentially the same passage. So Jesus is reading this passage in the synagogue. He's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. 
In verse 2 it says, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus doesn't read out that line. He doesn't say the day of vengeance of our God. He says the year of the Lord's favour. So the martyrs were crying out, Lord, when? When will you avenge this blood? So there is a day coming when God will bring vengeance, bring vengeance on the earth. But when Jesus stood up at the synagogue, he wasn't talking about vengeance. He was talking about binding up the brokenhearted. And today, we are still in the year of the Lord's favour. If you have a heart that is broken, Jesus wants to heal the brokenheartedness in your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to give you new life. That's what Jesus wants to do. But there is a day coming when he will bring vengeance on the earth. So if we look at the sixth seal, <clears throat> there was a great earthquake. And behold, it was the sun became black, a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by the mighty wind. And we see the, the great men of the earth saying to the, the mountains, cover us, cover us. Why? For the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand? Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. Only Jesus is able to open, is worthy to open the seals. Only Jesus can come and judge because he first paid the price on the cross for you and me. He took our sins. He is the righteous judge. He is the righteous judge. And so many uh, prophets in the Old Testament speak of the great and terrible day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And that day is coming. And we may think, we look on the world at the moment, we think everything is against us. It's like evil is winning all the time. And this book of Revelation was written to these Christians who were facing immense persecution. Many of them probably thought they followed the wrong Messiah. Many Messiahs were coming saying, I'm the one. They thought, well, maybe we got the wrong Messiah because Jesus died on the cross. And look, we've had nothing but problems since we, we converted to, to Christianity. And maybe you feel like that a bit as well. <laughs> You know, you're just having more and more trouble, more and more tribulations. And Jesus says, there will be tribulations. We will go through tri tribulations and persecutions. But the day is coming when Jesus will bring judgment on the earth.
Psalm 96 says, Let the heavens rejoice, verse 11, and let the earth be glad, let the sea roar, and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful, and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, and the peoples with truth. There are so many passages in the Old Testament that speak of the great and awful day of the Lord. Thankfully, that day has not come yet. We are still in the year of the Lord's favour. And obviously that is not a literal year because it started 2,000 years ago. And perhaps the day is not a literal day, but that's not the point. The point is that there is still time for us to turn back to Jesus. If you feel far from Jesus, there's time for us to turn back. Jesus says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. Turn me to 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 but concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief you are all sons and light Sons of the day, we are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew. 24. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. It did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But notice that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour 
you do not expect. It's easy, isn't it, to get caught up. On the one hand, you can get caught up in this world. The world is so busy. There's so many things to distract us. So many things. It, it can be hard to watch. It can be hard to be sober. Not just in terms of the alcohol, but in terms of our mind, to be sober. God calls us to be sober. He calls us to watch. Jesus calls us to watch. The parallels, if you read Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal, and what Jesus says in Matthew, the parallels are very similar. You see the application in Matthew. Jesus says several times, be watch. Watch, be ready. Are we watching? Are we praying? Are we seeking God soberly in that the, and knowing that the, that the, the day could, it, it could come at any day? Jesus could come at any day. The day of the Lord, that terrible day could come at any day when Jesus comes back. A terrible day for those who do not know Jesus. A glorious day for those who do know Jesus. But are we watching? Even as Christians, are we watching? Have we got oil in our lamp? Are we caught up in the world? Or on the other hand, are we caught up in, in trying to work out what day it is? It is not for you to know the hour, the day or the hour, Jesus says. It's not for you to know that. Are we caught up trying to work out all the symbols so we can know exactly when it happens? You know, many people who have studied this and have been very certain about what the passage means, what revelation means, have been guilty of being wrong. They've got it wrong. Even those in Calvary Church have got it wrong. So it's important that we come humbly, we watch, we don't get over, have an overemphasis on working out everything. But we also don't have an overemphasis on just being concerned with the here and now. We need to watch, we need to be ready. Many have made a lot of money out of this also. A lot of money trying to interpret this. But the application, regardless of when you think Jesus is coming back, is we need to be ready. We need to be ready. I'll finish uh, with this command from Peter. First Peter chapter four, verse seven. 
But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so, do it as with the ability which God supplies. And in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's be watchful. Let's be watchful. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. There's many different interpretations. We do know that Jesus is coming back. We do know that God has the timetable of history and the future in his hands. We do know that the day of vengeance is coming. When justice will be done. Justice will be served on the earth. But for now, we are in the year of the Lord's favor. For God wants to reach out and he wants to show his mercy. Peter says, God is not show, sorry, in Second in, uh, Peter 3.10 says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Sorry, just before the verse um, 8. But beloved, do not forget one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The fact that the day of the Lord has not come is because of God's long-suffering mercy. That he wants all of us to come and bend the knee now willingly to God, to Jesus. So let's be watchful. Let's pray. Let's, let's be sober. Amen. Father, we, we thank you for... Um, <clears throat> Your word, your magnificent word. We thank you for your magnificent promise, Lord, that you are coming back. You are coming back to judge the living and the dead. You are coming back to rule as a king. You came as a servant. You are coming back as a king. You came to show mercy and you're coming back as a judge and father i pray for each of us you would help us not to be distracted by foolish things by vain things but to be watchful and sober that we could proclaim the year of the lord's favor to all those who are brokenhearted to all those who are blind give us your grace lord give us your mercy lord in these days 
Lord, even though we go through trials and we go through temptations, Lord, give us your grace. And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, more and more of your Holy Spirit in our church and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.